So God, we just commit this time to you. We ask that your spirit would move in us, would challenge us, would encourage us, would bring peace, would bring understanding, would bring revelation, would bring comfort, would bring inspiration. I pray that your word, your truth, and the power of your resurrection would change us this morning. Amen. Well, good morning. How are we all this morning? Excellent. Lots of good things come out of Adelaide, apparently. I lived there for eight years, so... I'm one of the good things that came out of Adelaide. And my dad was pastoring a church there, actually. Um, and so, yeah, still have family uh, in Adelaide. Haven't been there for a while, but apparently it's still a quiet little town. Clover then closes about eight o'clock at night. I think um, friends of mine went to Adelaide once and got there about 8 o'clock at night and there was a sign as you were drove in and said, sorry, Adelaide's closed. Maybe it's changed. I don't know. All right. Um, just trying to find my Bible app. We are the last chapter of Mark. And so Mark chapter 16, I think it's the last chapter. Yep. <laughs> Glad about that. <laughs> Didn't think there was a Mark 17, but hey, I thought I'd better check. Let me read it to you. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who's going to roll away the stone so that we can get in? And then looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed, as you would be. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Well, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there will you see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, but they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe him. 
Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at a table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Verse 19, and so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord walked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. I find Mark's account of the resurrection kind of feels like it's written in dot point. Particularly when you compare it to some of the other uh, accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. He makes a few key points. And in fact, some early manuscripts that they found only have the first eight verses in them. Uh, They don't have verses 9 to 16. And I kind of get how it kind of feels like it, you know, he's added some stuff later. Um, But because we have the four accounts of the resurrection, we do have this kind of bigger picture that we get to see that adds more depth and colour and information to Mark's narrative of what took place on that very eventful day. So I want to stick to what Mark was saying, and in particular, just a small part of it. You know, I did check with Dave if it was okay to preach on the resurrection outside of Easter. wasn't sure whether there was a demarcation dispute thing there. So you, and so, in a sense, I've probably preached on the resurrection of Jesus many Easter Sundays. And so I felt today, as I prepared over the last few weeks actually, really prompted to share a little bit about the human emotion that I see in this text. There's two main emotions that you read about. The first one is fear and the second is doubt. The first three women to go and encounter the empty tomb and then the young handsome angel sitting on the edge of the bed were alarmed, astonished and afraid. That kind of makes sense, right? I mean, you think about what they had been through. I mean, one of these was the mother of James, the mother of Jesus, we're assuming. And what they'd walked through, watching Jesus be crucified, be condemned, be ridiculed, be spat upon, be tortured and eventually die. They'd been through this incredible grief and pain and loss. Not only that, in their mind, it was done. Even though Jesus had told them and told them and shared with them, there was still this sense that it was over. That's why they were going to anoint the body. So they'd been through a lot. And maybe they should have known. Maybe they should have believed. Maybe they should have been stronger. 
You know, and the more I thought about it in the context of our day and everything that we see that is going on around us in our world, the more that I realized that both fear and doubt and unbelief have been very prevalent in my own journey and in the journey of many people that I walk alongside. I find it interesting that these three women encounter the angel on the empty tomb and the angel says, go and tell the others. But what do they do? They don't. Because they're afraid. How often does fear keep you silent? Keep you quiet? Make you hesitate? How often does fear stop you and hold you back? Even in the midst of the spectacular, even in the presence of the Almighty, even in the moment of miracles. Eventually, Mary, and again, Mark's very short narrative of Jesus' encounter with Mary, this is Mary Magdalene, goes and tells the disciples. But of course, they don't believe her. You're mad. And then Jesus appears to two disciples on the road. And we, that story again is expounded in one of the other Gospels. You know, Jesus appears in a form that they don't recognize. And they have this massive, big, long conversation that Mark converts to one verse. And then they go and tell the others. And still they don't believe them. Again, they should have known, right? Surely they should have known. They'd walked with Jesus for three years, listened to him, watched him, observed him, heard his story. And Mark tells us that he had told them he was going to rise in three days. They should have believed They should have realized. They should have been stronger, more faith-filled, more confident. In this account of this story, we see that Jesus reprimands the disciples for their disbelief. And although I get that, Jesus was probably like, kill her. I've been telling you, and you missed it. You didn't get it. And I think there's some disappointment there for Jesus. And he reprimands them for their disbelief. But if I put myself in their shoes, I don't think I would be any different. I would have wanted to believe. I would have hoped that it could be true. But I watched him die. How can he be alive? Pretty sure I would have been like the disciples. Afraid. And filled with disbelief. How often does doubt distract you? Cause you to question. 
create anxiety, self-doubt. That kind of wrestling with your faith. I believe, and I've said this before, that um, our faith should be evolving, right? I know mine continues to evolve. And it's often filled with questions, doubts, reorientation, and change. And as I reflected on the response of the disciples at the time of this incredible, world-changing moment that the Son of God is alive. And I reflect on their journey and their response is fear and doubt. And I wrestle with both of those things and have done many times. You know, I was thinking about, so what do I fear? What is my fear that might silence me, that might cause me to hesitate? Well, I fear sometimes what people might think of me. I wish I didn't, but I do. I fear getting it wrong. I fear being wrong. I want to be right. I fear human judgment. I fear human rejection. I fear human ridicule. And so often in my own personal journey, I have allowed that fear to keep me silent, to keep me from being light. And love. You know, I've said this before, but chances are my truth is not 100% right. It's just a slight chance. Maybe 99% right now. And, but when I assume that my truth is 100% right, I can become quite judgmental exclusive and arrogant. My version, my interpretation, my way of seeing, my belief, my worldview, it's not going to be 100% right. And chances are neither is yours. I think we should live like it is. (laughs) That conviction and passion but I think we need to love like it's not. Inclusion and grace. I wish Christians would spend as much time and energy loving the lonely and the disenfranchised, the different and the hurting than they do trying to prove their version of the truth to other Christians. I share this with our staff at our staff retreat that as I get older... I feel I'm becoming less judgmental of other people, which is great. But I also feel I'm becoming less tolerant. (laughs) Not sure how those two things actually work together. Hmm. 
you know, I preached once about being a kingdom thinker. And I just am so moved by what that means. Because we're not religious thinkers. Not traditional thinkers, not denominational thinkers, not organizational thinkers. Not even Christian thinkers. Our thinking is formed and founded and focused through his kingdom, because of his kingdom, and for his kingdom. And I believe that kingdom thinking is radically inclusive, intentionally non-judgmental, holistically embracing, others-focused, extraordinarily generous, consistently unbiased and above all driven and shaped by love. Kingdom thinking doesn't make assumptions because we know what assumptions do, don't we? Something about us, something in you and me. It doesn't write stories or presume that it's right. It listens so that we can understand and connect and learn so that we can embrace, include and serve others. And it's humbly okay with being wrong. You see, our fears can work in two very different ways. They can keep us silent or they can make us arrogant. My fear of people's opinions about me can make me silent, afraid to speak up, afraid to stand up for those without a voice who need a voice. For those being excluded, judged or condemned. And yet my fear of losing my comfort or security can make me arrogant. My need to protect my security, familiarity and comfort becomes more important than loving the unlovable. Inviting in the marginalised. And serving the sinner. You know, I wrestle with doubt. I wrestle with unbelief. Not just in myself, but in most things. And I think in our day and age, we are bombarded with so much stuff. So much information. So much story. So much misinformation. So much crap. I don't wrestle with the big picture, but definitely in the small. And as I said, I feel like I'm constantly reinventing my faith. It's all right. Siri does not know the answer to Brett's question. Neither do I. Becoming more like Jesus is not a destination that we reach. It's a journey we take every day. If our faith stops evolving, we can become stagnant and die spiritually. 
I believe we need to think with a deeper curiosity, a unique kindness, incredible grace that is seen in the way that we love, behave and serve our world. Wrestle with your doubts, your questions, your beliefs and shape them with God's help one day at a time, one step at a time. You know, I want more, nothing more than Jesus and his kingdom to shape the way I think, to shape the way I behave, to impact how I see the world. I want to be able to look at our world through the kingdom lens, not the king's way lens, the kingdom lens, the Jesus lens, not the Brett lens, not the church lens. Romans 12, 2 says, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. A total reformation of how you think. I feel that the church, particularly in the West, is stuck in church thinking. And needs a total reformation of how it thinks. That text goes on to say, says, this is what will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. You know, the beauty of fear and doubt is that because we live on the other side of the resurrection, we have something that the disciples did not have, the Holy Spirit. We have the gift of the Spirit that dwells amongst us and is in us as followers of Jesus. I think the older I get, the more I realize I don't have all the answers. At 23, I thought I did. At 28, I was convinced I did. 33, I knew I did. By about 40, I realized how wrong I was. I don't claim a perspective or a worldview that is guaranteed to be right. What I do believe is that spirituality and following Jesus is not all black and white. I wish it was. It's often very grey. I mean, if following Jesus and being a Christian was all black and white, there'd be no theological differences. There'd be no conflicted perspectives. There'd be no opposing worldviews. Every Christian would simply agree on everything and that would be it. <laughs> I wish that was the case. But we don't. We can't. We never have. 
And what that tells me is that Christianity has become more and more complicated, conflicted, and somewhat corrupt. So at 57, I know it's old. Not as old as some of you, though. Keep it simple. Love Jesus. Love others. You know, I don't believe Jesus is going to be upset with me. This is my perspective. And remember, I can be wrong. I don't believe Jesus is going to be too upset with me if I love people too much. Or if I forgive people too often. Or if I accept people too easily. Or give to people too generously. Or embrace people too empathetically. Or treat people too kindly. Or journey with people too graciously. Or serve people too enthusiastically. But I don't think he's going to be happy if I judge, exclude, and blame, and accuse, and ridicule, and harass, and isolate others. So as hard as it can be, and this is as much for me as for anyone, don't allow fear and doubt to get in the way of what really matters. Loving God and loving others. Let me pray. It's a simple word, Jesus, and I pray that we would be empowered to do just that, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as we love ourselves. These are the words that overrule everything else. I pray that we would deconstruct that we would reorientate our lives as followers of Jesus around those two things. And I pray that we would live in the power of the resurrection. That the truth of who you are would be our truth. And that our lives would be empowered so that we can overcome our fears and our doubts to serve the kingdom and the king. That we would see your kingdom come and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, my sense this morning is that unless I'm alone in this journey, is that fear and doubt are out there. Are out there. That all of us in different ways wrestle with those things, the same as I have and do. And I felt this week as I prayed into this morning's message that the Spirit of God really wants to minister to those two things today. To minister to our fear and to minister to our doubt. 
in different ways. I feel for some of you this morning, the Spirit of God wants to embrace you and your doubt and say, it's okay. Because you're beating yourself up for doubting, for questioning. And the Spirit of God wants to say to you this morning, it's okay. Walk with me. Work with me. I love you. It's okay. And for others, the Spirit wants to minister to your fear, to set you free with His love. So that you're not responding in the way that the disciples responding, which was to a dead Jesus, but we begin to respond to a risen Lord with boldness and peace and clarity and strength. I've no idea what song we're doing. And it doesn't really matter. But my sense is that as we worship, the Spirit wants to move. To me, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, because they're the same. Jesus always wanted to minister to people, and He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus said, you know, I've come to serve and not to be served. And Jesus wants to serve you this morning through His Spirit. He wants to minister his grace, his love. And wherever you're at with your wrestles of fear or doubt, the Spirit will minister to your spirit. And as Dave shared at the beginning, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And Jesus and the kingdom are all about freedom. All about setting us free from fear and doubt, judgment, so that you can be free to experience all that God wants and has for you. So why don't you stand with me? Jesus, I thank you that you are present. Thank you that you are here. We know that. There is no doubt you are present. We might not feel it. We might not be sure of it. We might doubt it. We might be afraid of it. And I pray that your spirit in this moment would minister to all of that emotion. I pray that your spirit would minister to our fears, would minister to our doubts, would minister to our wrestling, our questions, our confusion, our stubbornness, our arrogance. Whatever it is that's going on, Holy Spirit, minister to us. Bring freedom in your name. As we worship the King of Kings, I pray, Jesus, that your Spirit would Bless and fall and feel and stir up and heal and restore. Jesus' name.